0: Merry Christmas. Christmas. Oh, are you excited? It's just one week away. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I guess I'm stuck in my primary years. Um, I I love Christmas. It's going to be so fun. Well, some of you have been wondering how my mom's doing in her Yuma adventure. And her birthday, her 89th birthday, was three days ago. And two days ago, she had this wonderful winnings at bingo, $450. (laughs) <laughs> and she came home to her house and saw that she'd received a tower of chocolate from my older sister Lynn. And then I just, this is a picture of us, Christmas past. I wanted you to know that I think any woman who did that deserves all the chocolate and winning that she can get. That's all I have to say about mom. <laughs> Don't tell her I told, showed you this picture because she's going to be mightily embarrassed, but... Well, I need to see a show of hands for this one. How many of you love Hallmark Christmas movies? Now, be proud, be brave. There you go. Yeah, because we are not alone, folks. 85 million viewers will tune in this year alone to those wonderful Christmas movies. Well, in 2007, did you know there were only six of those movies made? And you know how many were made this year? 37. Now, each of these movies takes about three weeks to shoot, and each one of them costs on average $2.2 million. I knew you wanted to know all things Hallmark today, right? Okay, and they all have three ingredients, okay? Every single one of them has romance, snow, and a happy ending, okay, right? Right, and we love that, right? Well, these movies are really predictable, and particularly the happy ending part, because you see at the end of every Hallmark movie, all conflicts are resolved, and all is well amongst everyone. In other words, they are nothing like the first Christmas, or our Christmases, where our relational snafus are not always completely mended, and our, our uh, bodies are not always healed, and uh, we have a lot of messiness to it, and... That's why we're talking about what we're talking about today. We're talking about re-gifting peace. How many of you found yourselves worrying, worried or anxious about something in the last week? You don't have to, yeah. Oh, you guys are brave. Thank you for raising your hand. Because my hand's up there with you. You know, the past several weeks, um, that's been my experience. And it started with my husband's ER visit, which was about four weeks ago. And then that ER visit precipitated some tests. And that round of tests precipitated some more tests. And each of these tests had more serious indications if they turned out in certain ways. And in addition to that, I had gotten this um, email... Uh, that was sent just to me from a board member of our HOA. And some of you will remember my HOA saga from when I was uh, president a year or so ago. And I haven't even really talked with this person in that year, so I have no interaction. But let's just call it an unfriendly email. And I found these concerns were just weighing on me. I felt like, you know, I like to backpack, but I felt like I had a backpack on and somebody had started adding rocks every day. And I found my mind shooting off in all different directions, thinking about things that were not peaceful. And it wasn't until I did what we're going to talk about today, that I really received the peace of God. And what I want you to know today is that we're not alone in our worries or anxieties. Did you know that 40% of Americans report that they feel more anxious today than they did in 2017. And according to the American Psychiatric um, Association poll, they discovered that there are 40 million Americans suffering with anxiety disorders. And at the top of the list of the things that are weighing on the American people were their personal safety, brought on by shoot- mass shootings and things like that that happen and our ability to communicate those worldwide in the moment and in an ongoing fashion. So personal safety, in addition to that was worried about finances and related to that their job and then health like I was worried about for my husband and then finances and politics was included and personal relationships. This was like the top five but in addition to this Included in this mix are these real-life events that we experience. Some of you have experienced a divorce, some a serious illness that a loved one has. Some of you are caregiving, and not just for a week. And some of us have children who are making really poor decisions, or perhaps uh, you got there just before Christmas report at school, and it wasn't good. And now you've got Christmas break figuring out what to do. Or maybe it's just a friend's unexplained rejection. All of these things can pile on and add to our worry or our anxiety. So I don't know why we're so surprised that a movie franchise with happy endings, where all the tension and the conflicts are resolved at the end, um, would have tapped into our anxious lives and... Millions of Americans would find them a wonderful one-hour to two-hour escape for their lives. Now, that would not be my husband's estimation, just saying. My husband would be saying, no, that is a two-hour torture chamber right there. (laughs) So he doesn't find that at all compelling. But what if I told you today that God has a way for each one of us to experience his peace in the middle of any kind of circumstance that we might face. And God's peace is mind-boggling. And I know that's my word, but that's actually what the Bible says, that his peace transcends all understanding. As far as I know, that's what mind-boggling means, right? Can't figure it out. It's so amazing, so great. And today I want to talk about God's path that he's given us to experience the peace of God. Jared, a few minutes ago, gave us an opportunity to experience peace with God, to receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, to be forgiven, to invite the Holy Spirit to come live in us, to have our relationship with God made right, where there's free communication between us and all is well. But this is the peace of God operational in our lives. Because you see, when it comes to re-gifting peace, You can only give what you've received. That's the whole idea behind regifting, right? If you don't have it, how can you help someone else with it? How can you offer it to others? So what is this peace that we're talking about today? Well, the Old Testament word used throughout the Old Testament is shalom. And it's more than just the peaceful feelings as great as those are, that are often associated with our English word for peace. You see, shalom is actually well being in all aspects spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. It is a word for completeness and complete wholeness. So it's not just a calm feeling, as great as that might be. It is actually when we, as we experience everything we need for our well being, spirit, soul and body. This completeness, this wellness that affects every part of us. And it's got a companion word in the New Testament that shares this idea of wholeness and completeness. And it's the prophet Isaiah who originally introduces us to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, And he does it in Isaiah 9. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Is that a pretty grand promise? That of his peace, his peace, there will be no end. Now, the message paraphrase aptly calls him Prince of Wholeness instead of Prince of Peace. But the truth is, when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, arrived on planet Earth, we suddenly had in our midst the authority on wholeness and on peace in our lives. He is the authority on shalom. And so if we really want peace, if we want to be the recipients of peace and are able to give it out to others, then then we want to come to him the source for it. And Jesus can give us the peace of God no matter what our circumstances might be. I would like you to listen to these words that Jesus gave to his disciples on what they would have termed their, one of their worst days ever. And close to just hours away from when Jesus was going to go to the cross. In John 14, verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace. Of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And Jesus said there again that his peace includes or involves both our mind, our thoughts, and our emotions. This inner sense of calm, but also of thoughts that are focused. And where does this come from? It comes from knowing that we are not alone or on our own, that we'll never be abandoned by God no matter what our circumstances. And what he's just told his disciples is, I'm sending you my very representative, the Holy Spirit, to live in you, and we you can experience my presence 24-7. And because of this, when you're in the worst moments, you can still have my peace because you have my presence with you. In fact, this assurance and comfort is offered not just in those words of Jesus, but in the very name he was given when he was born. Emmanuel, we sing songs about this name, which means God with us. And this reminds us every time we say it, we are not alone and we're not on our own. Because the peace of God is not the absence of trouble. The peace of God comes in the certainty of his presence with us, no matter what we're going through. So how do we do that? How do we walk into that experience of God's peace and experience that together so that we can then give it to others? I want to promise you today that you can leave with more peace than you came in with. And that this week, you can have the peace of God no matter what you encounter or happens in your life. And that this year, your own moments of worry and anxiety, like I experienced in the last couple weeks, can be fewer than they ever have been. And so we ask, how can that be? What's God's path to receive the peace of God? You see, each one of us has an olive branch with us today because this is an international symbol of peace. Around the world, people use this as that symbol. But each of these four steps that I'm going to talk about, and they're not new to you, is God extending an olive branch to us and saying, would you like my peace? Follow me here. And so let's take a look at what those are, because he has a way for us to experience the peace of God in an ever increasingly anxious world. The first is this, pray about what concerns you. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, these are some really familiar words that Paul wrote. He says, "'Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.'" Well, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but I think Paul was a pretty credible person to give this message to, which the Holy Spirit spoke it through him. Why do I think that? Because Paul wrote these words from prison. Now, on top of that, not only were the Philippians very familiar with his experience with a lot of different kinds of hardship, they would have had one in particular come to mind because it happened in their community After he started the church, he delivered a little slave girl of her fortune-telling spirit. And because of that, he was thrown in jail. And what did he do while he was sitting there in jail? He prayed and sang hymns to God while all the other prisoners were listening. So basically, he practiced what he preached here. What's Paul asking us to do? Do what I did. That's what I would have heard if I was one of the people at the church at Philippi and I heard these words. Ah, I think I've seen that before. I remember he did that. Well, the word for anxious in this passage is more than just the care we have for people. Because we love them. You know, I, I care about my daughter. She lives in North Seattle. I love her. And I want each day to go well for her. But this is something stronger than that. In fact, the word is a word that we would use for being torn up or tearing something up. So it's being torn up inside about something. That's what they're talking about with this anxiety. Now, does that mean that my little minor cares don't matter and that it's only the big stuff? No, I think the point is in using that is that even the most robust worry or anxiety that you have can be brought to God because his peace is more powerful than that. The most anxious thought, the deepest problems can be brought to him. The things that tear you up inside and keep you up at night. Because our peace from God is not based on our ability to stop negative thoughts. So we don't have to deny them. And we don't have to try to get them out of our mind. He gives us another pathway. You see, things may really be as bad as you think in your situation. Abraham understood his situation. In Romans 4, he tells us he faced the facts that his body was too old and that his wife was barren. He faced the facts, but that's not where he stopped. And so we don't have to be afraid of saying the facts. Because God's peace is not the absence of trouble. So just because we're in this terrible situation doesn't mean that we can't have his peace. It's the certainty of his presence that brings us his peace. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is waiting for each one of us to come to him and just have a conversation. Tell him all about it. Tell him what's gnawing at you. Tell him what's tearing you apart inside. That's his invitation and Paul says that God's peace, this shalom, will guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus, it'll guard your heart and your mind. The word for guard there is like a group of soldiers, a regiment of soldiers that would be placed around a city that was about to be invaded, and they would defend the city against invaders. And he's saying, my peace will surround your mind and your heart and will serve to ward off, to fend off all invaders, these anxious thoughts, these worried thoughts. So this peace cannot be accounted for by our circumstances or by our reasoning. It is nothing less than the supernatural peace of God empowered by the Spirit of God himself. So the truth is that the peace of God is a conversation away for each one of us, a conversation with Jesus, the authority on peace and on our well-being. But I want to tell you that sometimes we need help with it. Sometimes I need help with it. Sometimes we can't get there by ourselves. Just us and God. You know, that's what the church is all about. That's what this community is all about. You don't have to be alone. And that's how I was the last couple weeks. I needed help to get past My anxious thoughts and my worries, and to receive the peace of God. And so I shared with several people what was going on with Jared and these tests, and about my HOA friend and my concerns there. And the thing is, they prayed with me and they prayed for me as they were away from me. And in the next few days after that, one of them sent me this message. I'm praying for God to be your defender with your neighbor and give her the peace she doesn't know that she's missing. I'm praying shalom over you and Jared and the family. May the God of all comfort be ever present in your hearts and minds. He sees, he knows, he cares, he is able. May healing and his grace and peace abound to you all. Can you hear that? That's better than a deep breath. That's better than a calm app. That's what happens when we let others help us find the peace of God. Sometimes we need that. And today, before you leave, there's going to be an opportunity for you to do that. I've asked a variety of couples that feel comfortable praying with others and love Jesus, and love you, to come down front, and there's going to be an opportunity for you to come up at the end of the service, and just share with them what's going on, what's tearing you up inside, what's keeping you up at night. You don't have to wait for the peace of God any longer. It's available. So we get to talk to God about it. Secondly, though, in the very same breath, Paul says, and while you're talking to God about it, make sure that you give thanks because Paul included thanks in this prayer because he understood that thanksgiving or giving thanks is an antidote to worry and anxiety. Why would that be? Because it reminds us of the things that are going right, of the good that is happening, of the things that are going well around us and in God's big world. Instead of what we are prone to do, which is to entertain thoughts of worst case scenario and what ifs. Right? When we're in the middle of worry and anxiety, that's what we tend to do. Instead of looking at God's faithfulness in our lives, both past and present, and remembering that. Dr. Robert Emmons is a leading researcher on gratitude and its impact on our lives, both mentally but also physically. And he's done a lot of studies, and every single one of them confirms that gratitude reduces toxic emotions. Those emotions that stir up flight and fright, those thoughts that you have that keep you up at night, gratitude reduces those. And it increases our happiness and reduces our depression that we may or may not be experiencing. Jesus, Prince of Peace, though, the authority in all shalom, well, he had it on his, on his knowledge and in his view long before Dr. Emmons already did because he understood how important gratitude was, and that's why he had Paul included in our instructions But I've found that this gratitude, when you're in the middle of anxiety or worry, sometimes you have to be pretty intentional about it. And what do I mean by that? Is that I can't, sometimes I just can't just sit there and imagine or start thinking thankful thoughts. Instead, I have to get out my journal. Sometimes I'm grabbing a sticky note pad. I'm just grabbing a scrap of paper. And for me, it helps to write it down. I have to take some intentional step that says, here's what I'm going to focus on everything that's going well, everything that's going right. So giving thanks. We pray about our concerns, and we give thanks for the things that God has done and is doing. And thirdly, we focus our thoughts. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul follows this verse on anxious thoughts with, and here's what I want you to think about Mental health people call this mindfulness. But this is a little bit different focus than some of their mindfulness, which has become quite popular. The thing is, God's the designer of our brains, and he encourages us to focus our thoughts on him and his good work in the world around us and through others. Paul doesn't just say, pray about it and give thanks. He goes on to tell us what to think instead of thinking anxious thoughts. So instead of trying to get rid of the negative thoughts, We replace it. And here's what he wants us to think about. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I should think about President Trump's tweets. I should sit down and review for the 10th time our budget in which ends don't meet, and I don't know how they, I can make them meet. I should reread that email that the boss sent to me that's loaded with more assignments when I already feel overwhelmed with the amount of work that I have on my plate. I should listen to that message from my adult child who's confused and making poor choices. I should increase, kind of rehearse again that fight that my spouse and I had a few hours ago, just a few more times. Is that what Paul's asking us to do? No. He's asking us to keep our thoughts focused on God's goodness in his big world. Starting with the world right around us and going out as far as we need to, to get to the good stuff, to get to the the remembrances of his faithfulness, of his goodness, and his goodness through other people as well. Isaiah 26.3, I love this verse when I was growing up. It was one of those that I memorized. I memorized it this way. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. But I'm going to read it to you in the NIV. You will keep in perfect peace to all who trust in you, all who fix their thoughts on you. The truth is, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us direct, focus our thoughts. They do not have to run wild. They are actually able to be controlled. We are not victims of those runaway thoughts when we feel anxious or worried. Paul puts it this way in Romans. He said, so letting your sinful nature control your thoughts leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. What comes to mind as I think about this, about letting the Spirit control our thoughts, leads to life and peace, is this wonderful chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, these things I'm worried about, these things I'm anxious about, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we're being encouraged to do in focusing our thoughts, is focusing our attention on God and what he's up to in his big world. I want you to know, though, this is a spiritual battle because every single one of us has an enemy, and the devil is him. He is the one who wants our thoughts to go astray, who wants our thoughts to go all over the place. And Paul talks about this, that we have the power as believers by the Holy Spirit to bring our thoughts captive and obedient to where Jesus wants them to go. And he says it this way, the weapons we fight with are are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, and we demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's a powerful promise and invitation from God that we can direct our thoughts with his help. With his help. So we pray about the things that concern us. We give thanks, we focus our thoughts, and just finally, we take one day at a time. You might be kind of surprised about this one, but Jesus is the one who gave us this advice, who said, if you want to experience a worry free life. You need to take this step. And Jesus, when he said these words, is giving one of his longest talks to a very large crowd. And this crowd was a lot like us. They were a crowd trying to make ends meet, trying to get, have enough to feed their families and clothe their families. In addition to that, they lived with a lot of uncertainty. They were still living in an occupied land. The Romans were still ruling and reigning. Their government wasn't perfect either. And he tells them, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, because worrying won't solve one thing. You'll still be left with those same concerns. But then he summarizes it this way, starting with that wonderful word, therefore, verse 34: therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's he saying? Take one day at a time. Now, I say, wait. God, don't you know I'm a futurist and I love to think about the future? How many of you would join me in that? Yeah, yeah, my mind loves to go out there into the future. But what he's saying is when it comes to anxious or worried thoughts, that is not what you want to do. He's saying take one day at a time. Now, I want you to hear this because this is why he's saying this. Don't get ahead of yourself. But more importantly... Don't get ahead of God. You see, when we're anxious and worried and we go into the future, we get ahead of God's provision. We get ahead of the words that God's going to give us, the promises that he's going to bring about, the provision that he has for us. We get ahead of him. And that is scary. A future without his provision, a future without his insight. We can't have it yet. And he doesn't want that to happen. Philip Yancey tells this wonderful story of a surgeon, Dr. Bloom. And he had a tumultuous upbringing. He started in Russia, and then he immigrated to Iran, Persia at the time. And then he ended up as a refugee in France, and that's where he became a surgeon. But Dr. Bloom was an impatient man. And he was always rushing through his days, looking ahead. In fact, it was said he was so impatient that he would sometimes glance around out the door to the next patient's room to think about what the next patient was going to be. while well, he was with one. So he often had no recollection at the end of the day of who he had actually seen as patients. Because he was always thinking about the next. Well, he lived with this constant state of inner tension. Because of the way he was living, and he decided he needed to make a change. He'd become a Christ follower. And he decided that he would stop for five minutes and he would sit quietly in the presence of the Lord. And what he discovered is that the world kept turning, that nobody died because he stopped for five minutes, and things kept going. But he learned something even more important than that, which I'll share in a minute. Because you see, he began to see these moments. They started out at five minutes, and then he lengthened them out. And they became these markers that were like pearls in a strand that he put together across his day. And at the end of the day, he'd present everything that had happened to God and commit it to him. And this is what he learned He learned to trust God more than his own actions. To trust what God was doing more than what he was doing. And this brought an inner peace. And he began to live one day at a time. You see, he created space for God in his life. And he began to wait for him. When we move into the future, in the middle of our anxiety or worry, we don't yet know what God wants to do. How he's going to provide. So it's so important that we wait for God one day at a time. So God's peace is received when we come to Jesus with our worries, when we give him thanks, when we focus our thoughts, and when we take one day at a time. And I received God's peace before Jared's test results ever came back to us this last week. But I needed every one of these steps to help me experience the peace of God. And I also needed some other people to gift me with peace in the process. And this week, we received great news that my usually healthy husband is actually healthy and doing well. And to that, I say, thank you, Jesus. And I say, thank you, church, for being the church for regifting peace when i needed it. And here's what i want to say to us is that i don't want you to miss out on god's peace today. So don't be afraid to come down here and be prayed for. Don't be afraid to share what your concern or worry is. Let somebody do that for you. Because you see receiving god's peace, regifting peace, is a lot like the safety instructions you receive at the beginning of a flight. The oxygen mask drops down, and they tell you what? To put your own oxygen mask on first. Then you can help your child or the person next to you if they happen to be having a hard time with it. That's true for God's peace. To be a regifter is to first receive God's peace. Then I'm able to share it with the people around me. And my prayer for us this week, for this week as we're leading up to Christmas, is this. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all situations. And may the Lord be with us all. I've asked Marley and the band to come, and they're going to play and sing a song that you've never heard. It says, let there be peace. And here's what I believe, that the Lord wanted to speak, we say, prophetically over you. So I'm asking you not to sing it with them, but rather to sit like Dr. Bloom did and create some space for God in your life, in your mind, in your thoughts, and receive God's peace.